You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me is Adelaide Crows fan, Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Yes, that is uh, that is accurate. Um, I'm also, also a big Sydney fan. I've been a big Dockers fan. I'm just uh, spreading the love right around the AFL at the moment, Kane. Winning streak for the Crows. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's wild. I did say yesterday that uh, I, I didn't think on paper it was the most exciting doubleheader, but I got a lot of entertainment out of this. I thought the Adelaide game was interesting, obviously disappointing for GWS, and then we can get to it, but... I thought the fourth quarter between Carlton and Sydney was the funniest funniest quarter of football I've seen all year. It was hilarious. I was literally just laughing. The, the players slipping all over the place, the unbelievable skill errors, the players double fisting the ball and then, and then taking a chest mark 20 metres down the field. Everything was going on. I honestly just found it very entertaining. And it was about 20, a 20-minute 20 period in that quarter where just nobody scored at all. <laughs> and the scores were just level for 20 minutes straight. Um, <laughs> It was it was crazy. I it couldn't if, look. It's that's ignoring the fact that Carlton was seven goals to nil down in this game, and then you have a fourth quarter where nobody scores until like the Carlton scored in the first minute and then scored in the last minute, and that was it. Uh, what a weird what a weird game. Well, we do know uh, down six goals at Metricon doesn't mean a lot, Josh. Uh, not to uh, not to bring up old wounds, but uh, <laughs> there is some news. There is some news from around the league before we get to those games. Harris Andrews, obviously a go- guy we've spoke about a lot this week. Uh, signs a five-year deal up in Brisbane. Uh, contracts starting to come through now, and uh, I think a, a bunch of teams will be happy to sell. A bunch of supporters will be happy to see these players get signed. But Harris Andrews for five years, big time, uh, big big time player to lock in for the Lions because, as we sort of spoke to yesterday, probably, arguably, their most important player. Yeah, we've talked. We talked about that yesterday. So it's good for him to be there for those next uh, next five seasons. It shows commitment from the club, commitment from the player. And even though he's out at the moment, that's uh, obviously massive news to get uh, to get Andrews locked away for those next five seasons. Other talks on, on contracts around the league. We'll get to more on uh, on Tuesday night's games. But talking about uh, Hawthorne and their rebuild, and there's yeah, articles floating around about the value of players like Gunston and Bruce. Um, do you think they're worth first-round picks, as has been uh, floated around in the media? Well, it depends who you are. I guess. And I think this is always the case. So, you know, we talk about teams that are that are on the, the brink, but they're sort of in no man's land. So Melbourne, for instance, who you could look at Melbourne and say, they're really missing something up forward. And yeah, they've got Wiedemann. They kind of like him. Luke Jackson, I know, is a guy we spoke about. But <laughs> if they wanted to dive even further into this, and I spoke yesterday that I have no idea where they're at and I don't know what the real Melbourne is. Is it closer to 2018 or is it closer to 2019-20? I'm not sure. It's probably somewhere in the middle. That's why they find themselves scrapping for the eight. But do they look at the player like Gunston and Bruce and say, yeah, we could we could give up a, a pick. And this is before I've looked at, at what team has what. But would they look at those two guys and say, you know, we don't really have a young list. We do like the guys that we've got. We think we've got a talented 22. Could Gunson or Bruce be a finishing touch, a finishing touch for us up forward? 
Um, I could certainly see a team like that being lured into that. Yeah, I think when we talk first round pick, like it's very different picking between one and five versus picking yeah. 14 to 18. So is it, are they worth pick 14 to 18? Maybe. Are they worth one to five? No, because of course the team's picking in those areas and the players you're getting in those areas are, are quite different. I don't know that you know, that I just put a blanket, well, it's got to be a first rounder or not to, for these yeah. guys. You can find good players in multiple areas of the draft. The second round has lots of very, very good players come out of it. There's, you know, the hit rate decreases as you go further along in the draft, but I don't think you want to put that sort of a limit on things, especially if these players are keen to move on as well. You know, you've got to look at where you are and holding, not hostage, um, but holding on to players maybe that, that aren't as interested in being there after being loyal players throughout their career is not always the best thing in terms of um, camaraderie and also future future recruiting type things. And you do the players right a lot of the time, it does help in terms of getting other guys across to the club. I'm not saying that the players should have all the power in those situations, but it is something that is worth uh, that is worth um, considering when making these decisions of where your team is and how you're valuing the players that are, that are currently on your list. But we, we should talk, I think, a little bit, Kane, about the games a bit more from last night. And what is going on with these teams that just do not want to win? With very winnable games, Melbourne with two in a row, GWS losing to Adelaide, when now this puts their position in the finals absolutely in jeopardy. And we talked yesterday about ladder predictors and we had St. Kilda missing out. That was under the assumption that St. Kilda lose to GWS. Now, that is a game that's coming up. St. Kilda's next two games are, are absolutely rough. They've got West Coast and GWS. But you know, that St. Kilda-GWS game, could that be the one that actually decides what happens in that eighth spot? Because teams are just tripping all over their dicks trying not to get into the finals. Well, GWS-Melbourne this weekend as well. So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting couple of games coming up for the Giants. And this was the one that they had to get. Again, we've spoken about their problems all season, getting the ball inside 50. Then they went the other way. And it looked like they were starting to find a little bit of a happy balance, although maybe the performance against Carlton last week should have been an indicator that they perhaps weren't uh, finding that form like we thought they were. Because when I watched the Giants a couple of weeks ago against Fremantle, you just don't score against the Dockers. And maybe now you look at that and you think maybe that was just an off day for Frio because it's certainly a performance out of the box for this Giants team. They only had 26 inside 50s against the bottom team in the league. So... Adelaide over the last few weeks, and particularly over the last month, has been bringing the pressure. And their structure has looked pretty good, particularly defensively. So they have, honestly, I feel like it's been their own finishing touches that has cost them a couple of more wins. And we've sort of spoke about that. So the one thing you know when you're going to play Adelaide now is that they're going to bring the pressure. And defensively, they're going to try and structure up and stop you from scoring. Now, against for GWS, so if you're playing GWS... This is a recipe to keep you in the game because their midfield just continues to be dominated. Minus 23 in inside 50s in this game, minus 10 in clearances. I'm honestly surprised that the game was this close. It's a staggering inside 50 discrepancy. We've talked about GWS fluffing around and, and not getting the ball in there. Then they go to the extreme and just bomb it in under you know reckless circumstances. But that is a staggering differential in, in that sort of... Um, yeah, number in terms of you know where the ball is being held in the majority of the game. It is absolutely wild in a game that they needed to win. And now, again, as you said, they played Melbourne this weekend and St. Kilda, so they've got a tough run home as well. So their position in the finals, going from grand finalist to uh, you know, not making the... Um 
not making the eight, and then Leon Cameron just being extended as well. There is definitely pressure on this team who, at the start of the year, start of last year, there were many people who would have said they have the best list in the entire AFL, and this is going to be disappointing for them if they don't make it. Yeah, I mean, it's still in their own hands, but I, I just don't have any faith anymore that they're going to figure it out. And again, struggled to not only... It's kind of hard for me to sit here and say that they, they struggled to kick goals because they just didn't get the supply. 26 inside 50s is incredibly low. And again, it did start around the clearances, and Rory Laird was unbelievable. 28 disposals, uh, 12 kicks, 16 handballs, 9 tackles as well. So you talk about the pressure. So 9 tackles for Rory Laird, 12 tackles for Matt Crouch. And uh, the big thing was that Rory Laird, 11 clearances. 11 clearances in the game. He was absolutely dominant. The number one clearance player for the Giants was Tim Taranto with five. So just smashed around the ball. Didn't look like they wanted it. When they did get an opportunity to attack, they didn't take it or they turned the ball over. So it's hard to really... It's it's just hard to imagine that this could have possibly happened to the Giants at the start of the year. But this isn't just a one-off poor performance. They've been trying to figure it out all year. The inside 50s were a problem up until round eight. And then they got that point where I said they, they went the other way and they were averaging mid-40s for inside 50s. But now uh, this was uh, back to the... Back to the struggles of early season. Absolutely, it was. And it's just always that familiar pattern of, of when that happens, you just go, oh, God, we'll, we'll figure it out. Like, it just doesn't feel like it's that hard to sort out. And we can watch it and say it, but it just continually goes back that direction. There's something that is a little bit amiss with our, how they are running things at the moment. Now, what we want to do, Kane, is we had this come out. Yesterday, maybe the day before, I think it was the day before, the AFL released their 22 under 22 squad. So uh, the the 40-man squad for the team that gets voted on by the fans, which is always a uh, an iffy proposition, it gets voted on by the fans for the top 22 players under the age of 22 in the league. So we had a look at this, uh, this list of this squad of, of players, and we... Um, I think it's a really interesting Gold Coast with a, a bunch of players. I think they set the record for most players ever selected in this squad with eight sons in that team. Melbourne and Adelaide don't have any players in there. Um, so that's a, that's a little bit concerning for, for both, especially Adelaide, considering they're at the bottom of the ladder and still couldn't get any young players in that squad. That's, that's a little bit concerning. But, Kane, what I want to know is out of that top 40 players that are selected into this squad, who do you think the best five players are? Well, I thought this was pretty difficult. A couple of quick things before I get to this. Gold Coast, eight players in this squad, as you mentioned. Uh, Matt Rowell is not one of them. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah that's, that's so, true. So put him in there as well. Uh, and the other thing that completely shocked me, who the hell knew Sam Pepper is under 22? Unbelievable. Well, he's, he's 22 now. But I, I, I don't know why. I, I thought that guy was a lot older than that. There was a couple of those names that appeared on this list that I wasn't... Uh... That I wasn't sure that they, that they were actually qualifying for this list. Let me just find <laughs> out who was. Who was the one that really? Uh, yeah, I think Jai Simkin was one that I went. Okay, really. Mm. Um, wasn't wasn't sure about that one. And Brayshaw as well in Fremantle. I, I I don't know why. Maybe it's just because of his brothers. That just that name's just been around for for a long amount of time. But yeah, he was another one. Where I went. No, okay, really. Okay. Well, there you go. He's in the he's in the squad. So who, who's your top five? All right, my top five uh, in no real order, and I, I did find this really difficult. So I've just I've seen yours, so we have got a couple different here. But I I had Jacob Wiedering is in there, um, and this guy is probably going to be all Australian this year. I think um, being one of the best fullbacks in the league, certainly he'll be battling for positions with guys like uh, maybe Tom Jonas, uh, Harris Andrews, obviously. So 
you know, he'll, he'll be in the All-Australian squad anyway. He's had a fantastic year. He's been extremely difficult to beat. Andrew McGrath, I've got in there from Essendon. I think he's taken a step. He's gone into the midfield a lot more, particularly with Essendon missing guys like Dyson Heppel, uh, Dylan Scheel at times as well, Jake Stringer. So uh, McGrath's had a monster year. Uh, Bailey Smith, I've got in there this year. Obviously, he's been fantastic. Hugh McGluggage, I've thrown in there. Um, last year, obviously, had a, a big year. This year, again, I think he's followed up from that. Um, he's in that bracket. He's in that bracket of really exploding to be that All-Australian type player again in the next year or so. And then the fifth guy I've got in there, and I'm I'm not 100 percent uh, I'm not 100 certain on this one, but he's one of club best and fairest. James Warple I've got in there. He he's playing alongside a lot of great players at Hawthorne in the midfield. Tom Mitchell, obviously Brownlow Medal winner, uh, Jago Mira as well. But Warple won a best and fairest. I got to give him some respect for that. So we only had one, uh, two crossovers in our list, and I again I am not certain on my list at all. And I look at it, and you, especially the the weirding one. Because uh, I didn't have him in my five, and I reckon I probably should have. Um, but I went Bailey Smith. To me, Bailey Smith is is the clear selection there. I I, I don't think you can debate that. Oh, one. What a shocker! What yeah, an absolute shocker! Yep. No, but, I, but Kane, you had him in there as well, so obviously you will agree. I had him. He was clearly the best player in the list. I didn't. I didn't say that. I said he's he's a clear one. You have to have in the top five. I think he's the best player in the list, but I, I think he's got to have in that top five. And had Andy McGrath in there as well. Um, and shockingly for me, I had two Essendon players in this list. So that is a surprise because I had Jordan Ridley in there. I think his season has been super. Um, just a, a guy that's really, really developed as that big intercept mark player down back and just super reliable. So maybe having Weedering over him was an option. But I went with Ridley. And then I chucked in uh, Taranto and Berry from GWS and from Brisbane, respectively. I tossed up the Berry-McCluggage combination there. And I thought, yeah, maybe I'd take Hugh. Maybe Sam Walsh gets into that spot. But in the end, I went with Berry. I just think that he's, um, I don't know, it's just, uh, just more of that sort of explosive type of game style, which is a bit more interesting to me. And there were other names that I wanted to throw in here. Look, I, I thought Bolton absolutely put his hand up. Rowbottom was another guy that I considered for, for that uh for that group, and then out of those, out of those eight Suns players, was there any that you had really in discussion for in that best five? Because I, I didn't. I thought maybe I'd have Noah Anderson there, but but I didn't. I didn't put him in. Well, um, those guys are kind of uh, a lot of them anyway. Uh, are sort of in their first year of of sort of uh, breaking out, and they've all sort of done it together. So I, I think that it would be a fair enough assumption to believe that they might be there might be a couple of them that end up being in the best five players whether it's Lukosius whether it is Anderson and of, of course the King brothers as well which we yeah. we didn't mention and we didn't have them in your top five maybe you could have I think the reason I didn't is because I didn't I didn't know how to split them and I didn't want to have both yeah, that's fair enough. I, I was I was looking at Ben King a little bit there but then you look at those we didn't really do we either of us have any key forwards in our list? I didn't have any in mind. I don't think you had any big forwards no. there. But you know, when you're looking at, at key forwards, would you have Ben King, Max King? Would you have Harry Mackay? Would you have Aaron Norton? Like, where, how do you list those those four as as the key forwards on, on that list? Like, I I'm not sure that the King I'd choose the King guys on their output this season over Norton or Mackay necessarily. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Norton's missed a bunch of footy, so it's hard yeah. to sort of it's hard to sort of rate him this year. Obviously, he was good. Last year, but uh, also Oscar Allen. I like Oscar Allen a lot. He's he's coming along really nicely. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I think the young guys coming through uh, are going to be just fine. And even though I didn't have him in my top five, uh, captain of the squad, Grime Myers, is also having a fantastic <laughs> year. So shout out to him. <laughs> yeah, who, who do you actually think will be the captain of this team when they when they announce it? 
it's uh, a good question. I actually, I should mention Zach Butters as well. I considered him for for this squad. He's had a couple of games where he hasn't just been a big part player. He's been by far the best on the ground. So uh, he's sort of overtaken the other guys, Rosie and, and Dersmer as well. He's sort of come from behind. He might have been rated third before this season, but now I think he's uh, the number one player. But as far as captain, it might be. It might be Warple or, or McGluggage. I mean, Warple obviously has been a leader through junior footy. Um, he's He's probably going to be a captain of Hawthorne down the line. Um, so it, it might be him. Yeah, I could see it being him. Uh, I could see Wiedering in that role. I could see yeah. S- uh, Smith in that role as well. Um, maybe McGrath. I think they're probably the four that mm-hmm. you, you look at as the the, the captain captain options there. The other one, you talk about players who have had impacts in games as like best on. Like you got to look at the like Adam Chera in, in Fremantle as well. Yeah. Like he's yeah. had some massive massive games, and I think he'll be. I think he'll be out of that trio of Brayshaw, Chera, and Sarong. I think he probably is the number one guy there for Fremantle and getting into this team. And I, yeah, he's had games where he has legitimately been the best player on the ground. Chera the other night against Melbourne. Some of his plays where he, the more I watch him, the more I realize how strong he is. There's some plays where he gets the ball on the ground and will stand up in the tackle, shove the guy completely off him, and then release the handball. He is, he is he's incredibly strong. He's really, really impressive. I, I agree. When I looked at the Freo guys, I certainly considered putting Chair in there. He, he's, he's very good. I, I've been really impressed by him, along with a, a bunch of guys for Fremantle, there's no doubt. But, yeah, I mean, I think the big takeaway from all this um, you know, we haven't even mentioned guys like uh, Sam Walsh, Tim Taranto. Uh, I mean, there is just some some serious talent around. Even Richmond, you know, you look at Richmond and 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 how strong they've been over the last couple of years. I considered Shy Bolton. Obviously, he's had a breakout year this year. Noah Bolter has been unbelievable at <laughs> fullback, and and Bolter's probably going to get the job on Hawkins this week. That's going to be a big challenge for him. So, yeah, just looking through the list, the the amount of young talent around the league is pretty damn impressive. I think that's something that's really important because you hear so many people like bitching and complaining, oh, the game's terrible, I want 80s footy, I want 90s footy, everything's so bad, the game's gone so so backwards. And you look at these players and you go, oh, shit, there's actually so many really, really good young players that are mm. in there that are you know, significant contributors to good teams or dominant contributors in bad teams. And I didn't even talk about the St. Kilda guys in the back line. Like Clark and Caulfield, like they have been unbelievable for that team back there. And they're so, so young. And there are a lot of these young guys who are doing really, really impressive things. And every year when you come to look at these 22 under 22 type squads, you go, the game's in pretty good hands because there are a bunch of you know, really strong players who are contributing at a high level who you can see you know, not all these guys are going to develop into superstars, but you can see that the the basis of you know, five to 10 of these guys at least developing into really strong, you know, consistent all-Australian level performers. And I think that's huge for the future of the game. So a bunch of those guys from the Gold Coast are going to be in action tonight. And despite all the uh, the teams struggling to secure the top eight spot, unfortunately, Gold Coast, just with a couple of those close losses that they had, are still going to find themselves outside the mix. But uh, they could spoil the Lions' top four chances here with a with a win. And you know, one thing that we've seen from the Gold Coast, outside really of one game against Carlton where they, they were coming off a very, very short break and Carlton arrested, they sort of got blown out. Outside of that, Gold Coast has been super competitive uh, when I look at the teams for tonight, no change for the Suns. That's always a good sign. We spoke about Harris Andrews being out for Brisbane. They've managed Grant Birchall. So a couple of experienced players out of the back line. Do you see a window for the Suns tonight? 
I think with how Brisbane's been playing, the absences of Birchall and Andrews here, there is an opportunity for them. And, and they have you know, had opportunities in these Q clashes before where they've been, outperformed yep. some of their expectations. I think there's a real chance for them to at least keep it pretty close and put a bit of fear into Brisbane, who has struggled over the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure they'll, they'll get the job done, but there is absolutely a great opportunity here for them. And for guys like, guys like King and Day to really step up, and take advantage of that absence of Andrews, and then that enables those other guys around it, like Rankin, to, to take advantage as well. But they've got the the guys through the midfield, the, the Wellers and Greenwoods and Alice, to put pressure on that Brisbane midfield as well and provide enough um, you know, supply down there for those guys to take advantage. They've got some strong defenders. We've talked about Sam Collins all year, about how good he's been, and the running power of guys like Lacocious as well. So I think they've got a real opportunity here to mix up this, uh, this top four aspirations for the lines so i think the big question from a selection point of view for brisbane was and you mentioned jack payne during the week whether they were going to bring him in or they were just going to go with mcstay down back it looks like from the team they've named they're going to stick with hipwood and mcstay up forward i don't necessarily mind that that's been the structure all year long if you change it at this point then you're a week out from finals you know you're not going to have paris andrews for the first final so i think try and figure out the the back six and keep the structure of the, the forward 50 intact. I, I don't mind that decision. I think that makes plenty of sense when they project forward into the finals. But again, you know, for Brisbane, they, they do need to win this game to ensure that they keep uh, their spot in the top four. We know that there's been all kinds of weird results coming through, particularly over the last week or two. Uh, it's probably gone the opposite of where I thought it would. I, I thought that some of these teams might just completely drop off uh, at the end of the season. And I, I think we have seen some teams, Essendon one that stands out that looks like they've dropped off. But I think that I've been impressed by teams like Adelaide, like Fremantle, like Sydney, that don't have a lot to play for. And they're away from home, that they're still bringing that competitiveness each and every week. And perhaps it is just the fact that they're in the hub. Maybe it works the other way, that they're like, well, we're here to play footy. We may as well stay focused and get the most out of this season. But the Gold Coast are going to be in that position here again, where for them, not a lot to play for, but uh, they can really spoil the Lions. And if they want this to be a rivalry. You've said before, the games have been close when you didn't expect them to in the past. So I, I think that the other thing that gives them a chance here is Brisbane's goal kicking. We spoke about it a lot, but that's how they're keeping teams in games. So I'm interested. I think it's going to be a fun game. Yeah, it is going to be really, really fun to, to watch and see how these you know, these eight Gold Coast young, young guys named in this squad can take it up to, to Brisbane. Brisbane need, needs this win. We know that. This will put them back into the number two spot on the ladder if they win it. Otherwise, they are in real jeopardy of falling outside that top four. So there is quite a bit to play for here at the end of round 16, the last game of the round, and then we kick back off straight into round 17 after that. Um Anything, anything else in this one that the uh, you talk about Jack Payne? I think he's a, he's one that I really do want to watch because he's played one game in his career. Like he's 197 centimeters. This is his third year in the system, um, and a real big opportunity here. This is it's almost like a test, I guess, to see whether he can hold down a position to some degree of the production that Andrews provides. 
and a little bit of a test to see whether that can be something that holds up moving forward into the final. So I think he's the one. There's going to be a ton of pressure on him, not necessarily in in this game because we know they want to win it, but that is going to be key because then do do they have to mix things up after this one, if the pain experiment, if he just doesn't look right or doesn't look up to it at this point, this is a, a one-game player that's replacing an all-Australian fullback. So there is a is a lot of pressure there for this to work out. I think. Yeah, and he's not necessarily coming up against a team that takes a lot of marks inside fifty. Obviously, King is the one guy that the Suns will look to target, and he he can be a high-marking player. But when you look at the stats, the team stats across the board for both the Lions. And the Suns, they're very, very even, almost in everything. Inside 50s, disposals, uncontested, contested, kicks, handballs, everything is very close. The the big difference statistically between these two teams in your traditional stats is marks. So the Lions grab around 12 more marks per game. But the big one is marks inside 50. Uh, They're getting 11 per week compared to the Gold Coast, just seven. So in the season, Brisbane has 50 more marks inside 50. And we know that with Hipwood and McStay and Charlie Cameron's a guy that can take a mark down there. So they have a lot of targets that they will try and hit up. Whereas the Gold Coast, it does feel like a lot of their goals come from away from the back line, running through 50 and kicking those goals. So, uh, you know, maybe this is a matchup where losing Harris Andrews doesn't hurt you as much as it would. But if Payne is the guy that goes to King, um, certainly it's going to be a test for him. But keep an eye on that number tonight. Mark's inside 50. The Sun's averaging only seven for the season. Normally, Harris Andrews, the intercept mark in reads the play so well, doesn't get beaten in one-on-one. So are the Sun's able to push up into double digits for Mark's inside 50? That's something I'll be looking at. Yeah, that that is an interesting... Um... I guess discrepancy because that's that's a it's a big difference. So seven to eleven doesn't seem like much, but it's fifty yeah. percent increase there. And you have a look at it's four the, shots on goal, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. I'm just looking at yeah you know, how they they've shot for goal this season and how many shots attempts. So Gold Coast has had 116 set shots for goal. Brisbane's had 156. Yeah. So yeah. We, you're talking that's a, that's a big big difference. Now that's 40 difference. Now Brisbane's had more shots in, at goal in general, but. The big discrepancy there is those those set shots. And one thing that is interesting to know is Brisbane, we know they've had their goal-kicking issues. They're hit, kicking just 41% of their set shots, but Gold Coast at 47%. So they want to get more of those marks inside 50. And is this the opportunity for them to do it? That's probably going to be one of the things that yeah, you know, I, I want to see how does how does that change, and it's not just changing like pain for Andrews. It's how does the whole defensive structure change? Does anyone look lost and out of position and not know where they're moving because Andrews would normally come and clear up that mess? I think that's always that key thing because if you're talking about okay, we just got a guy that's going to replace him one on one and he can you know do a decent job of that, but how does everyone else react? How does everyone else change their responsibilities and their roles? And that can often lead to confusion, especially in a first game in that sort of scenario. So just one last one. Grant Birchall has, has been managed for this game. There was a story on afl.com.au yesterday that he's getting close to triggering a contract. He was on K-Rock. He was on Geelong's K-Rock uh, footy last Friday night, and he said himself that he's already triggered that clause. Uh, the, the man down here, Tom King, said that uh, he, he told them that he's already triggered that clause. So Grant Birchall, I think he's been a great addition. I mean, you think about what Luke Hodge uh, brought to this team when he came up to Brisbane, I think, virtual again just that calm just that veteran experience i think that's going to help them in the finals and it's particularly going to help them with the absence of harris andrews so virtual not playing tonight but I, I love what he's brought to their team and and more than anything it's probably just good to see him healthy he's such a good player it was interesting the I remember at the start of this season start of this podcast you were really doubtful about virtual having any sort of impact 
I just didn't think he could stay healthy. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to play? But he has been a, a key piece. So that's obviously um, that's obviously huge for for them to have someone like like that. And again, he's not injured, so he should be back for the, the next game and back for the finals. But he's been really, really, uh, really, really strong for this squad, uh, which is a, a surprise to uh, to many when we talk about where he'd been in his career with the injuries recently. Uh, shout out to, to Matty Cottrell, by the way, for the Blues last night before we wrap this up. Uh, kicks the game winner. Big celebration. I'm not sure if you're a bit of a fan of the big celebration. I was into it after the game. He said, just channeled his inner Greek freak. And Jonathan Brown said, uh, Jimmy the freak. He didn't know who he was talking about. But uh, anyway, uh, nice. We didn't talk about the Blues much here. But I guess mathematically, there's still a chance. If they get a series of results, they can still make the eight. Do you mean that he was uh, channeling? Giannis and Tintokotomatu. Is that, is, that, is that it? Basil. <laughs> yeah, just the the another another strained AFL NBA uh, comparison there by the uh, by the media, but it was it was a huge grab that hit that Cottrell took down at the end of that game and finished it off nicely in a, again in a quarter which was one of the craziest quarters that we've seen all season. But a, a big big grab, big contested mark to uh, to get the Blues. Over the line, um, they are still mathematically a chance. That could change this week depending on other results, but they're still putting themselves up there. They've only got themselves to blame if they don't miss out with some of the quarter or half fade-outs that they have had. But, Kane, we're not fading out completely because we'll be back tomorrow, but we are going to fade out of this show. Thank you again for another great show. That was a pleasure. I'll see you tomorrow. Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Paul Pios.